Hey everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, the Mason Avenue's Mind Week podcast. I'm Steve Seifer, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Blows, Ken Levin, and Thomas Henderson. How's everyone doing this week? Good, good. I'm doing well, how are you? Doing good. So, today is Johannes Espedes' birthday. And he's a guy that we talked about a little bit last week. And even though his time in Queens is uh, over now, I guess, and it was definitely shorter than it should have been, he definitely left his mark. So, we'll celebrate his birthday here with three moments that will promote, extend, or trade. And I picked three that I like, but if there's any ones that I didn't, you know, bring up that you guys want to substitute, that's that's fine, too. Okay. So, First moment we have is his first home run with the Mets, which is powered by the Rally Parakeet. Mm -hmm. Then we have his home run off of Alex Wood in the NLDS with that massive bat flip. And then we have his last home run with the Mets, where he was the uh, first National League DH in history to hit a home run. I gotta say... I don't think any of those Cespedes moments are top three for me. Really? I think my two favorite Cespedes moments are from that series down in Washington in 2015. The one game where he took Blake Trinan deep. Uh, that 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 three game series where they came from behind every single game. Uh, trying and like broke his hand punching a locker in frustration after one. Oh, of them, I remember just, that. Right, that pretty Cespedes, much like ended his career too. Yeah, no, who was that? <laughs> that wasn't Trinan. That was. It um, was um. Yeah, it's not Trinan. It's the other dude, Storin. Yes, So, Cespedes taking him deep was, I believe, the second game. Where they where they just got all those walks, and then I think Kirk took Papelbitch, Papelbond, who I call Papelbitch, <laughs> deep later in that game to take the lead. Anyway, I think that's my uh, promote moment. My extend moment is that double he hit solely because it gave us the best shot of David Wright I think we've ever had. So as he like scored from first oh, on the yeah. double, and we got that really emphatic fist pump. And that was like the third time this series when the Mets had come from behind. It was like, oh shit, this team's just going to roll to the playoffs. So I'm going to go with those two for uh, my promote and extend. One um, of my favorites is um he made it was we're not doing just offense stuff, right? Because uh, yeah, whatever you like, I guess. It was a throw he made that Sean Rodriguez throw at third. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like that was one of those throws. I was like, what? <laughs> like. Yeah. Like it was, it was just a wow play as any of his home runs to me because that that's just like a like an an elite elite level arm just being shown off. They, I think they lost that game too, ironically enough. But like, just just damn, <laughs> like like <laughs> you rarely even with like when you would have the peak Juan Lagara stuff, he couldn't do that because that was just not in his skill set. So yeah. that one is something that always pops to mind for me. Um, so I'm going to extend the, uh, the NLDS home run because I was at that game and I don't think I've ever like 
experienced nice. a level of energy like that in person. It was wild. <laughs> yeah. And, like, the production was great, or the production value from the ballpark was great. They started playing the theme from The Natural, <laughs> like, as it landed, um, just all around, like, an excellent moment. Uh, I think I'm going to trade his home run from this year solely because of how poorly everything went down from there and how sad it makes me that he's no longer a Met. Um and promote the whole Washington series. You don't think that they're going to uh, resign him? Oh, <laughs> actually, who knows? Yeah, n- new owners <laughs> might be able to get him to convince him to stay. Uh, there's like a zero percent chance. I mean, I would say like one. <laughs> I want to head. I have to. I have to correct myself. First game of the series is the seven to one comeback where they just walked like six batters in one inning. Second game of the series is the Cespedes two-run home run in the top of the eighth to take a lead after being down early. And then the third game on the Sunday is the double that scores right. Found the play logs. Even still, that's pretty uh, impressive to remember. That series was like the most fun I've ever had watching Mets baseball. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, that was so yeah, fun. Yeah, it was pretty great. It was just like, Kirk, they're going to lose. They're going to lose. Oh, yeah. they're not. They just have decided, yeah, we, we don't want to do that losing thing ever again. Pass. Honestly, I don't know why. It's just all one big blank to me. Like, I remember the, the Wilmer Flores game, because I was actually at that game. And then I remember bits and pieces of like, oh, he hit another home run. Oh, he hit another home <laughs> run. And then it's just like the playoffs. And there's just nothing, nothing took. I don't know. I guess my brain is full. Yeah, with all those wrestling facts, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. He had a crazy series in Colorado, too, or at least a game. Yeah, that three-home run game in Colorado, yeah. and then had a triple, right, too, I yeah. think? Yeah, he had, like, so he did something crazy in Colorado, like, right around when they first got him. See, I could mm. see Colorado, because Colorado does stupid shit constantly. Like, it makes no sense for them to sign you Cespedes. But I would like to see them sign. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, that would just be a blast watching it. And just it. constantly hit 500 foot home runs <laughs> in Colorado. It'd be incredible. That would be awesome. I hope this isn't his career. Like, I hope he resurfaces somewhere else because, like, the ending of the Mets' marriage and him to him was bad. But like, I still he's he's gonna be one of those dudes that I always love because of what he meant to a World Series team. That I saw. <laughs> and he looks like okay in spring training. Or yeah, he whatever, looked, whatever you want to call it. This he year. looked fine. Like, I don't, I think a team should throw like a year at him to be like, hey, can you still hit? You know? Yeah. yeah I yeah. think the bat still works. Yeah. Just fine. Yeah. Like, so, like, at the very least, there's still the American League who needs a bunch of DHs. Maybe he goes home to Oakland and like rides out his last years there or something. But I hope he's not done with all those injuries. I hope he gets like a chance to actually play. And a while ago, he said that he was going to retire in Oakland, so we'll see. Yeah. But, yeah. I'm trying to think of who their current DH is. I don't think they really have a set DH. I know Chris Davis was doing it, but he's been Yeah, like, but he was really real bad, bad yeah. last year and this year, so I think it makes sense to hedge their bets a little bit. They could use some more offensive firepower in that lineup. I mean, any team with a DH, he would be a fit. 
Yeah. Not many teams are going to say no. To the, you know, you know what could be a fun do. fit for him? Uh, the White Sox. Him and Jose Abreu at the same lineup would be a good time, I think. Uh, I don't that know what they fun. do with Andrew Vaughn, though. Mm. Trade him. To the Mets. <laughs> oh, yeah, please. <laughs> we Because we, we need another first baseman. Though the, though the White Sox also have Eloy, who apparently just can't play defense, so maybe they don't want another DH. I think that'd be a fun fit, though. That's like a really young, exciting team. I think he'd like fit into that clubhouse well, and they probably are going to win some games, so that'd be nice to see, too. White Sox deserve it. I have nothing against them in particular. Fun team. Yeah, absolutely. Bad football, Tim Anderson. We love it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Speaking of fun teams now, let's go over to Asia and look at the CPBL, KBO, and MPB. And I use the term fun teams very loosely. Oh, boy. Uh, the Unilines, they went 1-3 and three this week. So that puts them at 30-27-1 in the second half, which is a game behind the Fubon Guardians. And that gives them a magic elimination number now of 3. So uh, former Yankees farmhand Fulin Kuo, he is the hitter of the week. And it wasn't a particularly exciting week. He went 5-15 with a double and a walk. And while we're on the topic of hitters, Anko Lin, he did not have a good week this week. And for a second week in a row now, he failed to hit a home run. So he's still stuck at 32, once behind uh, Tilson Brito's team record. And the Lions have, yeah, <laughs> Lions have two games left. So basically what seemed like a shoe-in a couple of weeks ago is now a huge question mark. I don't know. Um... And then pitcher of the week is Teddy. Yeah, pitcher of the week is Teddy Stankiewicz. He threw six scoreless innings. He gave up three hits. He walked three, and he struck out four. And he's a perfect five and zero in Taiwan now. Now over to Korea and the LG Twins. They went four and two, and they are seventy seven fifty eight and three, which is five games behind the first place Dinos. And the hitter of the week again this week is Yu Sung Che. Uh, he went ten for twenty three. With a triple, a homer, a walk, and three RBIs total. And also repeating his pitcher of the week is Casey Kelly. He threw six scoreless innings, and he allowed two hits. He walked none, and he struck out seven. And he kind of started the year out slow, which is understandable given everything that was uh, going on back in April and May. But he's really hit his stride at this point. He has a 15-inning scoreless streak going. And on the year, he has a 3.23 ERA in 167 and two-thirds innings, which is sixth in the league. And he's been worth 4.3 WAR, which is among the best in the league for pitchers. And before we move on to the uh, Yakult Swallows, now there's another player who's expected to be posted this winter. Um, he's going to get some MLB attention, so we'll talk about him now. And that is NC Dino's outfielder slash DH, Sungbam Na. And Na was drafted by the Dinos uh, out of Yonsei University in South Korea. Originally, he was a pitcher, and he wasn't half bad as a pitcher, but he was like an amazing hitter. So Dino's management suggested that he try to be an outfielder in order to get his bat into the lineup every day. 
and in the KBO Future League, their 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 minor league, um, he hit 303 with 16 homers. So obviously from that point on, he was a position player and not a pitcher. And his rookie year in 2013, he was okay. He hit 243, 319, 416 with 16 homers. And he ended up coming in second place in rookie of the year voting. But he really became legitimately good the next year in 2014. Uh, he hit 329, 400, 597 with 30 homers that year. And he's been pretty consistent and he's done basically, he's replicated that slash line pretty much every year since. He's a career 316, 384, 542 hitter, and he averages about 26 homers a year. The one exception was last year, 2019, when he tore his ACL basically a month into the season or so, um, and obviously didn't play. But he's recovered, and he's basically on pace right now to have one of his best seasons ever. He's currently hitting 320, 390, 594 with 31 homers. And there's about two weeks of the season to go, so he can definitely add to that home run uh, uh, total. And so, surprisingly, there are a lot of advanced Korean stats available online, and understanding it all is still a little difficult. You know, Google translation is kind of rough, but from what I'm able to understand, he does generate pretty high bat speed and exit velocity, which is about on par for major leaguers, so that's good. The hitting environment, though, in his home park and then obviously in the league itself is a lot more favorable towards hitters than the MLB is. So I'm not really sure how many of those home runs, you know, are going to be translated into home runs in the U.S. instead of just kind of like line drives and, you know, extra base hits. Um, and another worrying thing are actually his strikeout numbers. He swings a lot. Basically, 50% of the pitches that he sees, he swings out. And he has about a 20% strikeout rate, which is not terrible, but, you know, it's not that great either. He's especially susceptible to high fastballs and pitches pitches that fall out of the zone that he goes pitching for. So that's not good. Um, what's his, what's his walk? I take it his walk rate's fairly low. Uh, it's okay. It's about league average, um, mm. but he just swings a lot. And <laughs> he was asked about it. This is a pretty I'm, – I'm not really sure how to feel about this quote. Uh, yeah. He basically said of his tendencies to strike out, quote, everyone has shortcomings, so I focus on maximizing my strengths. I think it's better to reinforce other areas such as home runs, even if strikeouts increase. No. I he'll don't fit have right a in problem in, with that take. He'll, like, he'll fit right in in, in yeah. Major League Baseball. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, why, uh, you know it, it's good on one hand, but on the other hand, uh, he isn't like a super old veteran or nothing like that. So it would be nice to... Uh, try to shore up those weaknesses, but, you know, whatever. Um, but in the MLB environment, you know, high high fastballs, something that he's susceptible to, are pretty common here, so that's a little concerning. And, you know, good breaking stuff is going to get anybody anywhere, so. And then defensively, he, he was a solid fielder prior to his injury, and he's been playing a lot of DH this year, so I don't know if it's just kind of precautionary or if the Dinos think that he's lost a step. But before the injury, he was pretty speedy. He Obviously, you know, he was a pitcher, so he had a strong arm. So he would fit pretty well at any defensive position. And obviously, since there's more value for a player to be in center, you know, he would play center. But in a vacuum, right field would probably be his best position. Was he playing center pre-injury? Yeah. Now that's interesting. Center yeah, that, and right. 
that perked my ears up a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. like this is um, I I love I get excited about these Asian players a lot of the time, but the Mets have such a freaking log jam in the corners right now that it's like it's, it's probably not worth it to bring him in unless you think he can play center. I do think that they're gonna thin some of that out to fill in other yeah, needs. Probably, like, like someone is something's gonna have to give, even if there's a DH. Like, you can there's just too many people per position. If there's, if there's a DH, well, we'll talk about this one, right? But if there's a DH, yeah. I think you can squeeze it in. But, but also, the point yeah. being, if you think this guy, if this guy's got the athleticism back, and given how modern ACLs recover, like I don't yeah. think it's unreasonable that he could get it back. For uh, sure, people do it a lot. Guy, like I'm, I'm willing to pony up more for him than I would for. Um, oh my God, I'm blanking on the name. The guy we talked about last week, Kim, the shortstop. Kim. Yeah, who, me too. Who I'm also super interested in because of the shortstopness, and I'll make I'll sign any shortstop. But <laughs> the Mets have such an issue in center. Like, sign me the hell up. Thing For is, sure. though, obviously, defensive statistics or, or defensive scouting is the hardest thing to evaluate. And true. he has the ability to play center field. So does Brendan Nimmo. That doesn't necessarily yeah. mean either's good. You know, so I cannot say whether or not. He's a good fielder or bad fielder, just mm-hmm. that he has played this position and, you know, then that's kind of it. But also the Mets have such little depth in the outfield that that's even if even if you throw a little more money at him and he's your fourth, then it's fine to me yep. anyway. Like that's, that's a good point. Like right now their fourth outfielder is like J.D. Davis <laughs> and it's like Dom Smith. And that's just like at the end of the day, those dudes are just not – Viable in the outfield. I mean, they, they have two real outfielders on the roster. Yeah. It's Nimmo and Conforto. And honestly, and then, McNeil doesn't look bad there, but like. Yeah. Sure. I'll, I'll get, we can call McNeil a real outfielder. Congrats. You have three real outfielders yeah. on the roster. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No so, like, center fielder. And then JD Davis and Dom Smith as your other outfield options. Yeah. Like signing a, uh, signing this dude would make a lot of sense, honestly. It would make a lot of sense because, and there's just no one to come up either. Like, Knock on every piece of wood in your house. Conforto gets hurt next year, and you need a dude to play right field for a month. Then, bam. Uh, <laughs> I don't even have a name off the top of my head. It's that bad. Yeah, like what's for Jai Davis up to these days? <laughs> <laughs> the, I, the 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 one of their minor league free agents from last year, uh, the speedy dude from. Um, Fargus was it? Uh, he had a really oh, cool Joshani Fargus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Him, I'd, I'd be interested in as like a speedy outfielder off the bench type. But the fact that that's the only option is the yeah, only option yeah. that I'd be marginally interested in is concerning. Like we make a lot of jokes about Tim Tebow, but he's way too close to the majors. Yeah, like as like, the roster's constructed. That that one Conforto injury, and then you got Sam Tebow. So, and I mean, if if Sandy's back, he's the one who was all like, "Hell yeah, bring Tebow in." So <laughs> he's not exactly go. He probably he might not be going anywhere. So, um, should we pretend that that wasn't Jeff Wolpon being? Oh no, like? I, I I absolutely <laughs> want to believe it was Sandy having fun. I, 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 I that's what I would it, say. But okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't have a problem with the, the whole Tebow thing in a vacuum. Like, they've not forced him to places he doesn't belong. They've not forced him onto the Major League roster. He's been surprisingly competent. 
Yeah, up till last year, he was like earning call ups. Yeah, like, so. <laughs> like, it's not been as much of a farce as uh, it could have been. For sure. Yeah, so. I think at this point, Tebow has more or less earned he's, the stripes. Yeah, and he's hit his ceiling too. Probably like maybe right. you give him another year in AAA to like. There's no one else to take the spot anyway, so it doesn't matter. But. I mean, two takeaways here. First, Tebow should be like, like it's impressive that Tebow's done as well as he did, but he's not a major league outfielder. And (laughs) second, it's bad that we're talking this much about Tim Tebow. (laughs) (laughs) It it circles back to why we should sign another more outfielders, like and sign the fun dude from Korea, please. Exactly, the fun youngest dude from Korea with potential. Like, get the dude with upside. Yep, I mean he. uh... I don't. I would not imagine him as being particularly expensive. Korean players haven't been basically ever. His agent is Scott Boris, but Scott Boris can only do so much. So how old did you say he was? Uh, I want to say he is twenty nine, turning thirty, or thirty, turning thirty one. Yeah, absolutely, open game yeah. on that. I mean, you wouldn't. I know you. I know you said all like this already, years. but my mind is uh, exactly Steve. today. It, it, exactly, Steve. It's not like you're giving him the Bryce Harper contract either. Like, no. Like he might he might make more than your average fourth outfielder, but also I think there's more upside than your average fourth outfielder here. So get mm-hmm. the suck you don't know as opposed to the suck you do know. Like, or like, just literally nothing, and that's the case. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm looking at like the free agent list for fourth outfield types. It's like Robbie Grossman. Who I don't hate. Uh, these guys are all too good. Jock Peterson will get a starting job somewhere. He would be fun though. Yeah. Left-handed though, the Mets already have too much left-handed mm-hmm. stuff. Like Josh mm-hmm. Reddick maybe as a fourth outfield type, but he can't really play center. Cameron Mabin, John Jay, Enrique Hernandez, I could see getting more time somewhere, right? But the the point is that these are the the major league options in terms of a fourth outfielder design are. Not great. Yeah. So sign the fun Korean dude. Certainly wouldn't hurt anything. Queens also has a huge, and this is something I've, that's been mentioned in the past. Queens has a huge Korean population. Like, it's an obvious marketing opportunity, and I never understood why the Mets don't haven't dipped into it. Because I, the one I, time they signed an Asian player, it didn't work. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, 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 that. <laughs> so speaking, speaking, two, two stories. Two stories there. One, speaking of that big Asian signing. Um, it was actually announced a couple of days ago that Ryota Irigashi is going to be retiring, and they're going to have yeah. a big ceremony for him next week. He is currently with the uh, Yakult Swallows. And second story, this is probably, I forget what year it was. I want to say it was either 2006 or 2007, when the Mets are, like, actually good. Mm-hmm. And for my sister's birthday, I got her tickets, like, right by the dugout, like, really, really nice, really nice seats. And I want to say, like, El Duque was supposed to be pitching or something, so I guess it had to have been 2007, because this is her birthday's in April, so the game is probably in, like, early May. And he was a scratch, and randomly, Chanho Park was the uh oh hell yeah. pitcher. <laughs> and... I have never seen so many banners. I've never seen so many random signs for a scrub, you know, fifth, not even fifth, scrub like seventh starter. So, That's yeah. Fun. I, it, I would it, never it, thought of that. But, yeah. Yep. That's a good point. So, there definitely is a market that they could tap into. 
So Queens is, uh, per this census data from, I don't know when, I can't find a year, Queens is the third largest Korean population in the U.S. after L.A. and Orange wow. County. I would yeah, have right? never guessed that. I didn't know it was that high. It makes a lot, that makes a lot of sense to me given the oh, yeah. food exploration. I've I'm like never like. out there in Queens. Like, I'm I don't like, go out there a lot either. I have a couple for point, point being. Oh yeah, yeah. Pander. Pander to these people. It's, <laughs> yeah. And sign someone who's potentially interesting and fun in the process. Listen, how, how many times have the Dodgers benefited from being on the West Coast and, you know, attracting Japanese free agents and I mean, Mexican? Okay with the Angels. Yeah, yeah, same thing with the Angels, Seattle Mariners, you know, it, there's, there is benefits that you can get baseball-wise from pandering to <laughs> groups, so Absolutely. any advantage you can get, you take. All right, and now the most exciting of the bunch, the Occult Swallows, and they went 1-5 and five with the rain out, which is a second week in a row now where they went 1-5. and five. So they are currently 36, 57, and 6, a whopping 24 games behind the Omiyari Giants, who are running away with the division. Is and that all? they are, yep, by far the worst team in the league. Hooray! Yeah. Um, They're bad. Yes. It, it, and they started out, like, pretty solid, and it just got really bad, really fast. Just adding to the Metsiness of it. Yeah, really good yeah. first month. <laughs> It feels like the Mets every season have like a ten game winning streak in April or some shit, and you're and they're like, you're like this is the year I believe this time, and then then it just goes downhill real quick. Yeah, and then eight players are playing hurt at the yep. same time. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're like, why are they all bad now? That's the Metsies. Uh, Munetaka Murakami, he was hitter of the week. It was not a particularly good week. Uh, he just went four and eighteen with four walks, and two homers, so nothing exciting, but it was enough to keep him at the top of the Central League OPS leaderboard, so that's good at least. And Daiki Yoshida is Pitcher of the Week. That's the first time that he's been Pitcher of the Week. He tossed six innings and allowed two earned runs on three hits and a walk while striking out five. So Yoshida went to Okamori High School in Osaka, where he was born, and he basically emerged as the ace of their staff and the school never won any Koshian tournaments while he was there or anything but they did have some upsets beating bigger higher seeded private baseball schools um you know in part thanks to his pitching so he got the nickname the public star because if you have any amount of talent you're usually going to private baseball schools and not public schools um so after he in his final year of high school, he, he submitted all of his paperwork to get drafted and all that stuff, but nobody wanted him, poor guy. So he went to the Nippon Sports Science University instead, and he was pretty solid in college, and then he got drafted by the Yakult Swallows last year in the second round after graduating, and he made his debut this year. And all in all, he has a 501 ERA in 59 to third innings, allowing 72 hits, walking 30, and striking out 48. The numbers um, are not that great, but A, he is only 22 and a rookie, and B, the stuff actually is pretty good. Uh, his fastball is well above average. It sits in the low 90s. It tops out about 94 or so. And then his um, his main secondary pitch is a splitter, but he also mixes in a curveball, slider, changeup. So he's the kind of guy that, you know, he's young now, but you can see getting a lot better as he gets some more experience uh, under his belt. And we were talking last week about Masanori Ishikawa being famous on YouTube. 
after he thought that Tony Batista was going to charge him on the mound. Uh, <laughs> Daiki Yoshida, he also has some funny YouTube uh, infamy from earlier this year when the Swallows were playing the, the Nippon Fighters in a practice game before the season started. The catcher, uh, Morihito Shima, clearly was a little rusty because um, when he threw the second to catch a runner, the, the throw was so bad that it barely made it past the mound, and instead of going to second base, it hit Yoshida right in the head. So, oh, oops. Jeez. <laughs> and he, you know, Yoshida did everything right. He ducked down and, and it just... <laughs> <laughs> what, what's that segment? I think they, maybe it's an NFL live thing. I don't know if they do it for baseball. No, maybe it was a sports center thing. That feels like a classic come on man clip. Oh, that was a football thing. Yeah. That was a football, okay, right. That's, mm. come on man. You can't hit your pitcher in the head with a throw to second. That's rough. That's one of the cardinal rules. Don't hit your pitcher in the head. Speaking of fun, uh, total non, uh, marginally related, uh, uh, you guys see that video of the, I think it was a Taiwanese outfielder robbing a home run and then oh, not throwing so the cool. ball back in until the dude had rounded the base. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he was oh, acting God. like he missed it. A plus like troll it. move. And the guy's like crossing home plate and looks back and you just see the soul leave his body. He's just like, ah! <laughs> Brilliant. That's, that's just, yeah, it's so cool. All right, um, back to the United States now, and, well, actually not really, because we're going to be talking about Australia. <laughs> uh, the Sydney Blue Sox, they released the name of another player that's going to be going over there that's affiliated with the Mets, and Jamie this week's... Uh, oh, he's not really affiliated with the Mets, but... Gary Sheffield is, I think, who I meant to say, and I said Sammy <laughs> <laughs> He he is a little more affiliated, yes. Manny but. Manny and Gary Sheffield on the same team teaching a bunch of young dudes, that'd be fun. That would oh, be God, good. Yeah. Well first it was Francisco Alvarez, then it was Carlos Cortez. Mm-hmm. This week it is left handed pitcher Andrew Mitchell. Huh. Um Mitchell's from New Orleans. He went to LSU. Um didn't actually play in his freshman year because he got hurt. So he transferred to a local community college, and then he transferred to Auburn, and that's where he finished up his college career. And the Mets drafted him in the 14th round of the 2018 draft. He, uh, you know, he's a senior, so he got a $10,000 signing bonus, and he split that somewhere with Kingsport in Brooklyn. He was very good at both because he was, you know, uh, a lot older than the competition that he was facing. And then in 2019, he split the year with the Fireflies and St. Lucie was a bit more age-appropriate, and with Columbia, he had a 0.92 ERA in 19 and two-thirds innings, and then with St. Lucie, he had a 3.14 ERA in 28 and two-thirds innings. Um, peripherals, generally speaking, were pretty good. He averaged about 2.6 walks per nine and 12 strikeouts per nine, you know, which is pretty good. Um, but again, context through the prism of his his age and the ages of the guys that he's facing. I would and, say it's nice that he's doing that, though. Yeah, you, like, obviously. Like, you want rather, him to do that, yeah. Exactly. It doesn't matter in the context. As long as the guy's doing good, you want to see them doing good. Yeah, like, if he was going out there and getting rocked by people a lot younger than him, then we'd be like, oh, well, he wouldn't be in, in Sydney right now. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he throws from a high three-quarter arm slot, but he drops really low when he, when he pushes off the mounts. It's almost like a side-on delivery. And the fastball is 
more or less average for a left-hander. Sits 90 or so, gets a lot of glove side movement. And then his go-to is a, is a big 11-5 completely curveball. And then he also throws an inconsistent changeup. And he started throwing a slider this year. Um, he is one of the handful of individuals that have taken advantage of the little indie leagues that have popped up all over the place. So he's been playing in 2020 with the Liberation Professional Baseball League. Um, it's a four-team indie league in Indiana. The team that he's Did been playing four? on. Four teams? Yeah, four. Four, yep. And they're really good teams, let me oh, tell you. So the fun. team that he's playing for, they're called the Baseball Resume Bandits. <laughs> what? Baseball Did they play a guaranteed is... rate field? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I've never heard of Baseball Resume before. Obviously, it's some sort of company. Um, the next team is the Indiana Barn Owls. Pretty solid team name. Uh, the next is the Indy Windstorm. And the last team, they're my new favorite team. I like them even more than than the, than the Johnsonville Soldiers. They are <laughs> the California Dodge Coins. So Dodge Coins? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Steve, Wait, what is a mean, Dodge do you, coin? Do you mean Doge coins? Yes, yeah, however you want to pronounce it. They have a team sponsored by fucking Doge coins? Yep. And their logo is, is exactly what you would guess. Much baseball. Very, <laughs> very prospect. Oh. Wow. Wow. And the I'm best just trying one. to find the current value of Doge coin. Uh, it's not very much. It's less Doge than Point is currently worth point two five nine cents. Yes, I, I have. I think I've invested like two hundred. Uh, I have two hundred <laughs> of them. I think in my digital wallet. Congratulations! Think... You have uh, five cents. Yep, exactly. The baseball resume bandits me. logo is a guy up at bat, and he has like an old timey bank robber outfit. Like he has like the hat. And like the bandit thing over his, uh, and he's wearing a suit. Like he looks like a mobster from the 40s. <laughs> this is I awesome. can only come up with two possibilities here, right? They either skimped totally on in the marketing department and got like a random high school intern to put together this stuff for them. And he's like, hey, these are some funny memes. I'll do this. Or, they really went to the wrong firm and got someone who had done just a little bit too much cocaine. I think I think that your first guess is actually correct because the Windstorm logo basically looks like a complete ripoff of the Trenton Thunder logo. It does. Okay. It's fantastic. <laughs> just just a little Photoshop. So I just sent it to you guys on Slack. All four yeah. logos. God. <laughs> and the the best part about all of this is that so this league is in Indiana. And yet they're the California Dodge going. Yeah. <laughs> the team was actually supposed to play in the Pacific Association. Oh, okay. Was the league, like, the league did not, you know, which is in like Napa County, um, California, and the league didn't play, so they basically just moved to Indiana because why not? I was. So, I can think I of was, several like, reasons why you wouldn't want to move to Indiana, but sure, they just moved to Indiana. I was trying and, to figure out if it was a weird troll, like they were, they were like some weird like deep meme thing where they were like, yes. We play in California, but we're just here in Indiana right now. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is just, uh, I don't that's know. Awesome. That's that's about as indie baseball as you can get, I think. This is the best league of all time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, uh, anyway, though, Mitchell, um, yeah, he's not as exciting as the league that he plays in. And with Lugie's not really being a thing anymore, 
his value is kind of that much more diminished because that really was what you could see with him. But he has a really nice curveball, so, you know, hopefully adding the slider and, and the changeup maybe getting better, everything just kind of takes to maybe he surprises us, but probably not. But if nothing else, he has an in with uh, those wacky indie teams when in time, when, when the time comes and he gets caught in the future. All right, so uh, the last two weeks, we've been going over Sandy Alderson's Met tenure, and last week we focused just on 2015. So this week now we're going to go over basically the end of his tenure as GM, 2016 to 2018. Uh, 2011 to 2014, you could characterize that as the Mets system, you know, developing. 2015, you could characterize that as like, holy crap, we're going to the World Series, bend down the hatches, and just, you know, use your assets to supplement the team. And so I guess 2016 to 2018 can be characterized as, as just tear it all down and start over. So we'll look at 2016 first. Um, the first notable minor league free agent signing they made was on December 3rd, 2015, and the Mets signed free agent right-hand pitcher Jim Henderson to a minor league contract. And Muppet. Henderson, yeah, his his best days obviously were behind him, which is why he was available. But in 35 innings, he was a league average pitcher. So. He was real good until Terry just used him like. Was he like? Day. Didn't he have like an incredible first month and then? Yeah. Terry mm-hmm. just like had him yeah. throw fifteen innings in a week or something and blew out. Not that bad, but it was bad. <laughs> they were they they were like being really careful with him because I don't know why. Oh, it's because I had him in fantasy the year before. He got mm-hmm. hurt the year before and was like out for the year with like an arm thing. It's like a bad soldier, a bad soldier shoulder injury. right? Yeah, yeah. So it, I, I'm pretty sure it was shoulder. Yeah. And Which then he to Terry back. Collins means let's, you know, make this guy throw every day. <laughs> exactly. And and the Mets were, like, really good early on about being careful with him. And then he was really good in the limited times they would use him. And then eventually Terry was like, screw it. <laughs> You're pitching almost every day. And then he blew his arm again. It didn't help that their bullpen was hot garbo. That's but... probably what ended up happening. Like, we need you to pitch today because if you don't, we lose. But, like, then now – he had to end his season a lot earlier than he wanted, so it was one. It's, yeah, it was one of those things where, like, if they just if they built a better bullpen, then they wouldn't have to. Uh, they wouldn't have had to do that. Mm. It's nice to know some things never change. <laughs> <laughs> um, next move was on April fifth. The Mets signed free agent Rene Rivera to a minor league contract, and Rivera has been around forever. He had like a, a prior stint with the Mets in like twenty ten ish or so. He's been on a bunch of different teams. He's got a couple of MLB chances. He is like the definition of a of a quad A guy that, you know, he's solid to above average in triple A, but just isn't really good enough to be uh, a, a an MLB regular. But he's definitely the the kind of guy that you, you want around. I think that he's like one of those future manager types. Preferably the, in Yeah. Go ahead. Preferably with the Mets. He's one of those ideal third catchers. Me. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm pretty sure if I was a GM, I'd sign this version of a dude every offseason. Yeah. If I made the good defensive, wise old veteran third catcher type. And he has enough pop in the bat where, like, he could run right. into some homers. and Right. Yeah. I like, like the ideal like bench him. catcher almost. Yeah. He, man, I like it, him. Aside from, like, having someone actually good. 
So after that, the next move that they made was on June 25th, 2016, and they signed a uh, free agent, uh, shortstop Jose Reyes, to a minor league contract. Ugh. And you know, I, I was sad when Reyes left. It, it was more infuriating, I guess, that they didn't even really try to match the offers. They, well, I wouldn't have traded him, but they didn't. They just basically let him go and just was like, "No, please come back." Oh. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of it. So, I mean, they chose the worst thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> Either that's, one. If they traded him, I would have gotten it. If they would have extended him back then, I would have been cool because, like, I wasn't really. I was younger, so I was like, "Oh, cool, he's good. Extend yeah. your good players." But well, that's not something the Mets do. Yeah. But yeah. In his first year back, he was he was pretty good actually. Um, so he hit two sixty seven, three twenty six, four forty three. Stole nine bases in sixty games. It's kind of like vintage Reyes. Would have been nice if you know he re- immediately retired after that year, but he chose not to. It would have been nice if he wasn't just generally a scumbag, as we found yeah, out. Exactly, <laughs> well, that's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, that, it was that it was saying it but, was coded in that too, which sucked. He's uh, you know. It was, it was sad to watch his last couple of years. Jose Reyes was like the player who got me into baseball in the first place. Like, they, I, I, I didn't dislike David Wright or anything, but Jose Reyes as a young fan was just like the most exciting Oh, dude. so fun to mm-hmm. watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like something's going to happen with him at the plate. He's going to like put something in the gap and run for an hour, run for the whole day. Or it's it's going to be great. Definitely the most fun player that the Mets had in... The last 20 years, I'm trying to think. Obviously, there's guys that have been good, and you you enjoy their performance. But with Reyes, it was like a combination of his performance, because in his early years, he he was you know an all-star kind of player. But also just the kind of guy that he was was exciting. And like compare that to like a Degrom, where you know Degrom is good, but would I say he's exciting? Not really. Like exciting to watch. And David Wright are also they're all more of the like quiet excellence. They're they're the typical baseball star. The very like like the best player in the in the game is boring. (laughs) (laughs) And I also understand like analytically why the speedy type guys aren't as common anymore. It just doesn't make sense analytically, but goddamn I wish it did because I love them. Yeah. I miss a good stolen base. Like, yep. like I, like you said, I get why it's gone, but also like when someone steals a base, I'm like, oh hell yeah, <laughs> like that's fun. I don't know why it's so fun for me, but it's exciting. It just is. Uh, so the final free agent pickup that they made that year, and I said uh, probably the most important, came on September eighth. 2016, and the Mets signed free agent outfielder Timothy Thibault to a minor league contract. Yes. <sighs> Top 10 prospect, Tim Thibault. <laughs> At least. <Yeah. laughs> um, so, weren't too many mm, free agent signings, but there's a lot of trade activity. Um, this one isn't exactly a trade, but close enough on... December 10th, 2015, the St. Louis Cardinals, they claimed Matt Bowman off of waivers in the Rule 5 draft. And Bowman, we talked about um, Colin McHugh last week. Bowman is kind of a, a similar situation, probably is a guy that would not have had success that he had with the Mets. 
Um, the Cardinals are known for being a very analytically advanced organization. You know, how many times have they turned nobodies into gold? And Bowman is like the perfect kind of guy for that because A, he's extremely receptive to um, advanced statistics. Chris interviewed him a couple of years ago. And it was a really great interview and everyone should go back and read it, but he's extremely smart. You know, obviously he went to Princeton and he fully embraces advanced stats and, you know, stuff like that's, that's always refreshing to see because athletes are usually the exact opposite, but he went to the Cardinals and he went from being, uh, you know, a dude, a, a dude in the organization, a fringe dude in the organization to basically having a, a being better than league average in three to four years that he was in the majors as a reliever. Yeah. So yeah, he was good. Yeah, yes, sir, he got hurt. I, he had Tommy John. Yeah, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like a month ago. I certainly was never part of the whole Samba brigade. I don't know if you guys remember <laughs> Samba Society of whatever Mapo. People who like Mapo for advocation of Mad Bowman appreciation. I think so, so, something ridiculous. So I was never in that pool, but I was kind of annoyed they just let him go in the rule five. That seemed yeah, that was dumb. It was like well, like I get, like I don't disagree with your point that he probably doesn't get this good on the Mets, but losing a a, guy, a smart guy with some degree of baseball, like a guy as smart as him with some degree of baseball talent is just not smart. That uh, at the time, I vaguely remember there being something of like a roster crunch. So him being exposed wasn't necessarily met stupid Cardinal smart as opposed to just, you know, you had to fit uh, more important people on the 40 man. But yeah, um, it just shows, I guess, though, how pretty stacked the Mets minor league system was at the time, I guess, that you could leave a guy like that exposed because you had no room and he could turn into what he turned into. I think it's also a sign of, of suboptimal roster management. I think better teams get something for those guys. Like they'll make a consolidation trade a lot of the time. It's right. again, it's not, it's not a huge deal, right? But it's no, it's slightly suboptimal and the Mets do a lot of these slightly suboptimal things that add up. Mm, yeah, that's the worst do. part about it is it's not that they do it one time; it's that they do it ten times and then they're screwed. Right? <laughs> like, like if they did it once and it and they like, like with the Cardinals letting go of like Luke Voigt and stuff, even though they got, I think they got Gallego, so he's good anyway. But like, it's one of those things where like, oh, the Cardinals look stupid then, and then it's like, but they don't look stupid most of the time because they don't usually make that mistake. It just happens sometimes. It's gonna happen no matter what. Like, the smartest team in the world is going to have that happen to them, but they could get around it because they'll fix it another way. Yep. No learning occurs here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. absolutely not. That's the biggest issue. And so the next trade came on June 8th when um, the Atlanta Braves traded second baseman Kelly Johnson and Cash to the Mets in exchange yes. for right-handed pitcher Akil Morris. Second straight year, they acquired Kelly Johnson from the Mets, from the Braves. Not a a fan of this for so many reasons, because A, exactly that. If they wanted Kelly Johnson so much, they could have just signed him in the offseason. But they also should have just signed him in the offseason. What did we just say about learning? (laughs) That's very true. (laughs) They literally saw the value that Kelly Johnson gave to them, and then we're just like, Do we mean Jelly Johnson? Yes, Jelly Johnson. (laughs) 
we, we, we they they saw it, they knew it because they acquired him and they helped and he helped. I mean, they, they did the same thing with Todd Frazier this year. I know it's so stupid. Yeah, <laughs> but at least with the Todd Frazier one, he wasn't like like he went to. Uh, start. Texas, he went to start whatever. somewhere, right? Yeah. Kelly Johnson didn't sign with the Braves. Like I could get if if you can't guarantee a guy a starting spot and he wants one. It's like okay, fine. The, it, Kelly Johnson didn't have a starting spot with the Braves. Yeah, no. he, he he went to to he he went to the Braves so they could do this and get a free prospect. Basically. Pretty much. And then it worked. Yeah. And again, like Akil Morris, not great, but it's the process of it. You you deal exactly. ten Akil Morris Morrisai. Morris is, Morris Maybe it's like one of those words that's the same plural as it is singular. I don't know. You deal ten of those guys, and one of them turns legit. Like just yeah. don't yeah, deal and, ten. Yeah, and then and then it's like, oh, you traded him for Kelly Johnson. LOL. Yep. Who wasn't even that good that year? So yep. I don't even know. Yeah. You didn't even get Juan Uribe this time around. So what's the <laughs> point? Yeah, what is the point? Uh, the next trade that they made was August first. And the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, the Mets traded Jonathan Nice to the Pittsburgh Pirates in exchange for left-handed pitcher Antonio Bastardo and Cash. And Pain. Nice wasn't good. Bastardo wasn't very good. So, you know, it was basically six of one thing, half a dozen of the other, and everybody lost because Nice, you know, he had a 84 ERA plus as a starter with Pittsburgh and then Bastardo had an 85 ERA plus as a reliever. So, they're both suboptimal. Yeah. Almost identically suboptimal. Yeah. yeah. I guess Nice had more value since he was pitching more innings, yeah. but. I think Bastardo I mean, had like a, a more recent track record of being good, though. He was so. good in Pittsburgh, yeah. I remember right. that because I remember being like, oh, interesting. He's yeah. not bad. And then he came here and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> Pro- process wise, I think that was a good, good deal because Nice looked washed and they didn't really need a, another. They had. Ample starting depth at that time. Mm-hmm. It's like let's gamble on this recently good reliever, and it just didn't work. Yep. On that same day, they made another trade, and the Cincinnati Reds traded right fielder Jay Bruce to the Mets in exchange for second baseman Wilson <laughs> Herrera and left-handed pitcher Max Wattell. And remember it the, when it was almost Brandon Nimmo. <laughs> at the time, I was I was not happy with this at all, but in retrospect, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Because, you know, it, it worked out for the Mets, I guess. And Bruce was a major league player, but still didn't really find his niche yet. And Wattel got hurt and basically flamed out. So I might have had an actual aneurysm if they traded Brandon Nemo. Oh, yeah, no. Bruce. If that Wasn't was that the original case, thing? Terrible. That was like, like, I think the Reds didn't oh, like the They've been trying to trade Brandon Nemo for a decade. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. But yeah, like the know. fact that they have this elite on base percentage presence at the top of their lineup is entirely by accident. Uh, and again, this is like you're right that Hotel flamed out. I still don't get why. So we've talked about, we've questioned why Pickles hasn't gotten a chance somewhere yet, right? Like it, he, someone yeah. should give him an opportunity. It just it, and Bruce didn't fit. It made no yeah. sense. That's the annoying part. Because I don't think Jay Bruce is like a terrible baseball player. No. Like, but when you look at the roster, like I don't know how they saw Jay Bruce and said, "That's what the team's missing." Like, like it was just bizarre to me. Like, it was. I, it's I it's the fucking Simpsons principal Springer meme. <laughs> was that also the year that they wanted Lucroy? 
I think so, yeah. Might have been. Because I was real mad that they didn't get Luke Roy, which ironically would have been a disaster. But Yeah, yeah. And then when I was looking, when I was, you know, looking about Max Wattel, it reminded me how much I really wanted Wattel and Zapucky and Sixo Torres to, like, all work out. Mm-hmm. And that didn't exactly uh, happen. I forgot Basically. how good Bruce was the next year for the Mets, too. Yeah, he had, like, 36 homers or something. He had a 121 WRC+. Plus. Yeah. yeah. So, cause he could hit. He always had that in him. He just was kind of like, he was hurt a lot here too. Yeah. Yeah. It was a bad yeah. fit. All that. I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll give my, this, the hill I'll actually die on with the Sandy era. Like, I can accept that in retrospect, the price paid for, uh, uh Cespedes is fine. I'm, st- I still ardent, ardently believe they should have sold at the 2016 deadline. Uh, yeah, back, I mean, they went and got Bruce instead. They kind of lucked into that wild card game that you know they that weren't. That month going was anywhere. really great, though. <laughs> I really <laughs> enjoyed that. <laughs> the, the frustrating thing is, like, the the, the Yankees had Araldis Chapman and Andrew Miller, and the Mets had two relievers who, at that moment in time, were basically just as good in Urias Familia and oh. Addison Reed. Maybe we'll not get cool. to that in a second. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, because that's all coming up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like. And the Yankees got Glaber Torres and Clint Frazier mm-hmm. and. Uh, what else? Did I do want to say. Miller? I don't think that Just the Mets Sheffield. run team is going to be able to. A, a Mets run team with the Wilpons at the helm are going to be able to pull that off, though. No, no. That's, that's still. Like they they would have just gotten fleeced for Familia, and we'd be like, "Are you serious?" Yeah. Well, the final trade that they made that year was on August 31st, and the uh, Los Angeles Angels traded right-handed pitcher Fernando Salas to the Mets in exchange for right-handed pitcher Eric Manoa. And Salas is a pretty solid late-season pickup. They got him for basically nothing. So good on yeah, good on the front office for recognizing and and you know identifying guys that would rebound. Because he definitely did. That was the 2016 version of Addison Reed. Not quite as good as Addison Reed, but like he yep. was pretty good. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was better than I expected him to be. Because I remember yep. getting him and be like, okay, yeah, it's just like, oh, okay, sure. Fernando Salas, cool, that's a guy. And then he was like, oh, it's actually pretty good. Fernando Salsa. <laughs> so many so. times I've written things that autocorrect to Fernando Salsa <laughs> down the stretch that year. I, ha- I had salad a lot on my auto. <laughs> So the draft that year, they had two first-round picks. They had number 19 and number 31. And with number 19, they went with Justin Dunn. And with number 31, they went with Anthony Kay. Um, some notable picks that happened after each. Um, Gavin Lux was selected by the Dodgers right after Ooh. Justin Dunn. Uh, the Nats picked Carter Kiboom a couple of picks after. And then if you look at... Um, Kay's pick, Will Smith, was picked right after. Oh, and man. Dakota Hudson was picked uh, three picks after. So This is physically uh, attacking me, Steve. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I wasn't a fan of, you know, Kay. What a draft, I, by the way. <laughs> like, Kay, I'm, I'm, much, I'm much less opinionated on Kay because at 31, there are just so many variables that it's not like you could say, you know, I think this guy will be available, that guy, whatever, because who knows what the hell could happen. But 
done at 19. I was just, to me, there were just so many red flags. I was not a fan from like day one. He was like a pop-up starter. He had like seven or eight starts to his name, which yeah. is kind of yeah, problematic. The the sample surprised me with when they took him where they did. Right. As as a reliever, he was really good. I mean, he would hit like 97, 98, whatever. But as a starter, he was like 93, 94. And then people conflated the two and thought he was like a high 90 starter, which is not the case. And now he's probably a reliever, you know? Yeah, now which is probably what he should have been. The in the time. beginning, yeah. Yep. He's, he's walking the universe. Yeah. Yes. I didn't have a huge problem with it at the time. Like, there wasn't someone else specifically I wanted, so I don't want to retroactively, like, complain about that pick. Um, like, it wasn't like I was screaming for them to draft Gavin Lux or whoever else at that spot, so. I was a, I was a big Blake Rutherford guy, and I think he was selected. Oh, me too. He was, right a, he was the pick done. one before. If they had yeah. let Rutherford go... Then I would have been annoyed, but it turns out Rutherford wasn't good anyway. So. No, that's like, the guy who I really wanted at that yeah. spot because I thought mm-hmm. he was going to be there. Um, and my and our problems with the with the idea on the K pick are well documented. <laughs> I don't feel the need to revisit them at this point. Though it, it, good on, I mean, I don't know if to say good on the Mets for taking advantage of someone's misfortune, but mm-hmm. the Mets maximized what they were able to do with K, given his pick and then injury and then using that money that they saved to, to, to sign another high upside prep kid. So good baseball process, I guess, even though it's a kind of scummy thing in life. Yeah, I would rather, like, not do that because it feels bad, but... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they also didn't know he was hurt when they took him. That uh, is true, too. That is I mean, oh, I thought they did. I- See, that that's an interesting question, right? If they know th- if they knew they were was hurt... I cannot talk. <laughs> they knew he was hurt, and they did it intentionally to get a lower bonus. Uh, morality aside, which we could debate, I'd have less problem with it as a baseball move. I think they, when they picked him, they didn't know he was hurt, uh, despite the various warning signs, most notably the absurd workload he had at UConn. Yeah, like 100-plus um, innings. Yeah, the, the, the workload there. Right, the workload was ridiculous. Um, so that would change my opinion on it a little bit. But we don't need to talk. About it. I've complained about Anthony <laughs> Case. I hope he does well in Toronto. He got us Marcus Stroman. He's been pretty good, right? That's like a like okay. a long reliever-ish guy. Relieverish guy, yeah. And then IFAs that were signed that year, they were shortstop Sebastian Espino. He signed for three hundred thousand. Third baseman Jose Peroza, he signed for two hundred and eighty thousand. Second baseman Luis Santana, he signed for two hundred thousand. Catcher Wilfred Estudillo, he signed for a hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, right handed two Yeah. Right hander Dyson Acosta, he signed for seventy thousand. And right hander Michael Atanez, who signed for thirty five thousand. Obviously it's still way too early for any of these guys to be Yeah. You know, playing in the majors or anything like that, but Santana was in the uh, Davis deal, correct? Yes. I forgot which Astros deal he was in. Yeah, he was definitely not in the... the one. One. Yeah. Nope. All right, so now we'll go over to 2017, and there really weren't any minor league signings of note that year, so we'll just go to trades. And a bunch of these can get lobbed together. Um, so early before the season started, the right that they traded right-handed pitcher Logan Verrett to the Orioles for cash, 
And in a separate deal, they traded Gabriel Yanoa to the Orioles for cash. And then a couple of months later, they traded uh, shortstop Milton Ramos to the Orioles for international cash. So, <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Uh, Orioles were, yeah, I mean, none of those things, none of those guys really going to amount to much. And two of those been, guys played overseas, like yeah. now. Uh, would it be better if the Mets got a player back? Uh, probably not. Like the caliber of guys they would have gotten back really probably wouldn't not have made a difference. And you know that international bonus pool money, maybe not in this case, but it does come in handy when you can spend a little more. So, so yeah, I don't mind. Real, yeah, I would rather international cash than yeah, right. I, I mean, regular cash is just going to the Will Pond. So yeah, screw it doesn't that. matter. It doesn't matter for us. It, we that's just like. Basically giving away a player for free. And yeah. For, that for said, giving away Logan Verrett and Gabriel Yanoa, not a huge problem. No, it's just, it is what it is. And I think we had enough information on both of them at the time where it wasn't a, yeah. this guy still has potential to break yeah. it. Mm, no. It was if more Jeff like still listens to our podcast. Oh, I'm gonna get trouble. I'm gonna get some angry messages. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you were talking shit about my boy Gabriel Yanoa. <laughs> The first real trade that the Mets made that year was basically right before the trade deadline on July 28th. And the Marlins traded right-hander A.J. Ramos to the Mets in exchange for Mirandi Gonzalez and center fielder Ricardo Cespedes. So (laughs) A.J. Ramos was actually good, too. But, like, there were the warning signs. And Mm. he hit his worst percentile here. Yeah, Dude, he wasn't was uh, actually good. I don't know that I even agree with that. You don't think he was like a solid reliever in Miami? He walked he was, a lot of people, but he was also striking out everyone. He was definitely better than the Mets incarnation. I think we can oh, all agree yeah. with that. <laughs> but uh, Ricardo Cespedes, he was like a back end top twenty five guy. He was more of a potential over results guy. And the bat still hasn't taken any steps forward. So losing him, no big deal. Losing Mirandi Gonzalez stung at the time. He was also in our top yeah, 25. Yeah. He was having a great season that year. But he was never like a, a super high upside guy to begin with. And here we are like three years later and he's basically fallen off the map. So, you know, n- n- didn't really hurt either side. It's process over results and like... If you're going to do something like that and get a guy for the next few years, I'd rather be a Strowman type guy mm-hmm. than a so, AJ Ryan. Similar to the Tyler Clippard argument, I have no problem trading the guys they traded for the type of piece they traded for. I just don't yeah. like the one we they did. That's and I don't I don't think we need mm-hmm. to have a lengthy argument about whether AJ Ramos was good or not. <laughs> oh no, yeah, it's it's not that big of a deal. No, and then his shoulder got borked, which I mean happens, but and then he made a comeback, I think. Uh, I don't know. He tried to. I think he got signed by someone, but I he don't think he signed with the Rockies. He threw 2.2 innings. He has a 3.38 K9 and a 10.13 wa- <laughs> uh, BB9, and I did not reverse those numbers. Those are correct. <laughs> he has a ERA of 3.38 and a 10.69 FIP. So, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus I, Christ. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Something that uh, split. Next, jeez. Uh, There's a couple of trades now. Uh, basically, in the span of a month, uh, a lot was going on. 
So the Mets traded right-hand pitcher Addison Reed to the Boston Red Sox for right-hand pitcher Gerson Batista, right-hand pitcher Jamie Callahan, and right-handed pitcher Steven Nogasek. They traded right-fielder Jay Bruce to the Cleveland Indians in exchange for right-hand pitcher Ryder Ryan. They traded second baseman Neil Walker and Cash to the Milwaukee Brewers in exchange for a player to be named later who turned out to be Eric Hanhold. And they traded center fielder Curtis Granderson to the Los Angeles Dodgers in exchange for a player to be named later who would turn out to be Jacob Rehm. Uh, that's best closer in the system, Jacob Rehm, to you? Uh, he also might be the best pitcher out of that group. Uh, I, I don't know, but we were, we were bringing it up before about how Reed was one of the best relievers in 2016, and he still was pretty well above average in 2017, and the market just basically fell apart completely because the Yankees yeah, traded Chapman. The Yankees traded Chapman to the Cubs as a rental, and they got back Labar Torres. They traded Andrew Miller, uh, Andrew Miller, and they got back Clint Frazier and Justice Sheffield. Justice um, Sheffield, that was the other that's piece. Crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. He, he wasn't a rental, though. He had two years left. Oh, okay. But still. Damn but still. Yeah. Padres traded a rental for Fernando Rodney, and they got back Chris Paddock. Uh, oh, Astros, <laughs> Astros traded Josh Fields to the Dodgers, and they got back Jordan Alvarez. Uh, oh, I didn't that's... know that. That's how they uh-huh. got him? Yes, that's, uh-huh. that's how they got that's you. Crazy. It's because in 2016, literally everyone was trying to buy. Mm-hmm. And it was like, just, just read the market. And then in 2017, they're like, oh shit, we're not actually good. But there's yeah. only like three teams that are trying to buy anything. Yeah. Fuck. That's rough. Yep. Got Jordan Alvarez for Justin. That is crazy. <laughs> that one is absurd. Now, I'm not saying they would have gotten Glaber Torres necessarily, yeah. right? I think they could have. I think you could have gone to the Cubs and said, hey, I hear you're willing to move Glaber Torres. We'll give you Addison Reed and you're a familiar if you get us Glaber Torres and, like, I don't know, someone else. That would have been cool. Um, that yeah, they getting uh, Jamie Callahan. They, they did all this one year too late, and then they got absolutely zero impact. No, I mean, for all the trades made. Of all these guys, the highest upside, I guess, would maybe be Gerson Molina because he had a really fast fastball. Batista, Batista, yeah. Oh, yeah, excuse me. Uh, Batista. Because, you know, his fastball is good and occasionally he threw a slider that we'd be like, wow, okay. But he might have have the straightest fastball I've ever seen. Yeah, like, you really would have to squint to see the upside there, even. But, you know. I, and I don't have a yeah. problem. I don't have a problem with trading guys like Neil Walker or Curtis Granderson or, uh, they traded Lucas Duda later this season too. You trade those guys for like, upper minors depth arms? Yeah, that's fine. That's but not I actually, what you okay. to be targeting yeah. for Addison Reed. Yeah. Mm. And it's funny because we're gonna talk about Duda later, but they got clearly the best person at the deadline for Lucas Duda. Right, because all these guys are totally interchangeable, right? You don't know who's going to turn into a useful arm here. I guess that is definitely one of the best uh, arguments for quality over quantity, because they certainly had lots of quantity, but... It doesn't matter that they had quantity. Right, exactly. Not a lot of quality. It doesn't matter, because their bullpen was terrible, like, immediately after, and then it stayed that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's like it's like they had a moment where they said, "Oh shit, we traded away all of our depth arms. Better <laughs> trade everything we have only for depth arms." 
Mm. It was so weird. Like it, it, it was it, it was basically like they they went into like like you're in a franchise mode and you just turn on relievers only. <laughs> and, 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 and they looked at the, the things and they were like, well, this is, this is what we're being offered. Like, like a team came up to me and be like, do you want our best position player? No, we're looking for relievers. <laughs> Only relievers. That, that might have been what happened. <laughs> and, and, and the Red Sox were like, sure, okay. <laughs> like, it was just yeah. so weird. Like, it was, it, it was such a hyper focused, uh, thing that they were trying to acquire, like, position that they, they put themselves in a, in a box. That they, I guess they they figured someone would work out, but none of these guys worked out. I was so annoyed at this that like so mad. <laughs> Me too. Well, of all these things though, their their silver lining I guess is the aforementioned Duda trade. Uh the Mets traded Lucas Duda to the Tampa Bay Rays in exchange for right hand pitcher Drew Smith. And He's good. Yeah, he's been he's been pretty solid and if it wasn't for his injury, maybe he would have Already established himself as kind of more dependable regular guy instead of uh, a decent dude with the options that's constantly going back and forth. But I also think he deserved to not be the back and forth guy. Like I understand that they he needed the options, and this year was wacky, and he was one yeah. of the only guys to go down. But I think he was even he. I think he's even showed at the major league level in his limited sample that he's good or good enough Agreed. to get a get a run. Yeah. Agreed. It's just a circumstance that he gets screwed over. Hopefully next year, like, with they need arms still, and he'll be able to win a job out of camp and just mm-hmm. roll with it. Because I think he can. I think he has the ability to. I think he's their best one that they got. Now, in the draft, the Mets picked 20th overall, and with that pick, they with that selection, they picked David Peterson, and Peterson has really been the best choice so far. Yeah. Basically, the only guy that's provided more value is Adam Hesley, and he was picked well before uh, Peterson. So, who would have thought? <laughs> that was a weird draft. That was. And in terms of international free agents that they signed that year, uh, they signed shortstop Ronnie Mauricio for $2.1 million, outfielder Adrian Hernandez for $1.5 million, outfielder Stanley Consuegra for $500 million. Uh, <laughs> Whoa! Five hundred million. Five hundred thousand. Uh, right-handed Damn. pitcher David Marcano for five hundred thousand. Shortstop Federico Polanco for three hundred twenty-five thousand. Right-hand pitcher Junior Santos for two hundred seventy-five thousand. And outfielder Eduardo Salazar for one hundred twenty-five thousand. So, definitely some big names in terms of Mets prospects in this IFA class here. Puts into perspective how. Uh, impressive Mauricio's been to already be like yeah knocking on the door yeah because that's not long ago for an IFA dude no that's really impressive and now we'll look at 2018 the final year of Sandy's uh, GM ship and the first major really the first and only major minor league signing uh, came pretty early on December 22nd, so it was a Christmas gift for this dude. And the Mets signed free agent right-hander Drew Gagneau to a minor league contract. And when we look at this stuff, we generally look at it from like a cold observer point of view. And in that sense, it was like a minor move that the Mets made, didn't really move the needle much. And he was a guy that was solid in AAA, but wasn't really good at the MLB level. But if you look at the human element of it, though, like, good for Drew Gagneau. His, his cup of coffee, he got... 
um, with the Mets, and and he got you know well the health, and medical, and everything like that. I don't know if he pitched enough to get like the retirement benefits and all that stuff, but I think now he needs he's... to be in the league for like a month for that. Right. Okay. So he may or may have. He got um, some starts with the Red Sox this year, I think, or last year. So. Last year, because he was last, in Korea yeah. this year. Yeah, that he's been pitching with the Kia Tigers. He's been pretty solid. He got a decent contract and a signing bonus when he went there. He'll probably get another shot in the majors next year if he wants, or in Korea, or maybe Japan. But he's pitched well enough that he's put himself back on the map to some degree. Yeah. And he'll he'll. It, it's not like he's going to become like a megastar or nothing like that. But with the money that he's going to make between you know this year and next year, you know him and his family definitely could live comfortably for a while. So good for him. And you know he's definitely going to be a professional baseball player. Right, I don't know somewhere player, he but. will be. I got I did his season review for that season. It was such a I mean that's typically such like a throwaway article. It's like three paragraphs about hey generic dude did X Y Z. But it was kind of neat to just reflect on how significant it is for a guy like this to to finally make it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean in a, in a season that was pretty miserable, it was like a wholesome moment. Yeah. Good way of putting it. All right, so now the trades, and there were a few. The first one was on May 8th, and the Mets traded right-hand pitcher Matt Harvey to the Cincinnati Reds in exchange for catcher Devin Mazzarocco. Well, and I guess there was uh, a win. Someone, can we, is there like an audio equivalent of that Stephen A. Smith that tweet that just says pain? <laughs> Basically, I think immediately it was win-win for both sides. Because yeah. Mesoraco was was pretty good. He was serviceable. Harvey was serviceable. And then lose-lose for everybody after the season ended because Harvey was, like, one of the worst pitchers in baseball, and Mesoraco was, like, forced into retirement by the Mets. Yeah. So... And one of the wilder things that's not talked about, like... Yeah, like... I don't know how that wasn't a nationwide story, that the Mets they, basically handcuffed a, a player and, into retirement. Yeah. Like... <laughs> I don't know how that's not how that wasn't everywhere, even though it's like I guess quote unquote only Devin Mesoraco, but like, come on, man, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, well, typical Mets. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, later on that year, on July 21st, the Mets traded right-hand pitcher Jerry's Familia to the Oakland Athletics in exchange for right-hand pitcher Bobby Wall, third baseman Will Toffey, and international free agent Pool Money, and you know. Same thing like the year before, they had an okay asset. Familiar was no read, but he was he was okay. But the just timing was was terrible. And honestly, you know, I think of of everything that got back, the international free agent money was the best thing that got back because Wall was he's not even in the organization anymore. They traded and, him for Keon Broxton, mm-hmm. and then he and, like immediately tore his ACL. Yeah, no, I think and, he had TOS, didn't he? Did he? Because it was a major I, injury. I forget. I don't know what, but. I thought it was a leg thing. I could might have mistaken. already had TOS. I think that's what it was. I think he came hurt, and people were like, "Oh, you traded familiar for a hurt guy in Will Toffee." In 2017, he had TOS. Mm. Okay. Wasn't he the he got- one that um, Riccardi, JP Riccardi, was like a family friend or something? Will Toffee was. Yeah. Yeah. I they liked were- Will Toffee. I thought Will Toffee really? could be a decent little bench bat with on-base skills because that's just a skill set I like, but he's, the bat wasn't good enough. Yeah, the bat just didn't. And then the uh, final trade they made that year, and 
arguably the best one in a while, came on July 27th, and the Mets traded second baseman uh, infielder Ashubal Cabrera to the Phillies in exchange for right-hand pitcher Franklin Kilame. How did they pull that off? I have no idea. That's I a, don't know. That's a great like, guess. What were the Phillies thinking? That's a, yeah, it's a surprising one from the Phillies. And not it's, that, yeah, it's, it's not like Kilame is a, is a super, is or was a super prospect, but the upside he was a is prospect. obvious. Yeah. The upside looking at him is obvious. He's the kind of guy that like, you know, maybe one or two mechanical tweaks and he figures it out or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, trading, uh, Cabrera was having a good season and I'm pretty sure he was pretty good for the Phillies, but you know, so so good for them. No, you know, wasn't whatever. he terrible? Because was he? Weren't, I don't know. Weren't they like? Is Estrubal Cabrera a sleeper agent? Like, wasn't that like a thing that they were talking about? I don't. I don't know. I just vaguely remember him like hitting right a double. I remember him hitting a double against the Mets and being like, "Yeah." Like, because I know he was really good. or something in the clubhouse. <laughs> <laughs> he 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 was he's been really good for Washington. Oh, okay. Maybe that's what I'm. He had an 82 WRC plus in Philly. Okay, so he wasn't good. He, he was he really good here, though. A 124. Yeah. He, I liked him a lot. I remember when they signed him, I was like, why? And then I was like, oh, now I know yeah. why, because he's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I underrated him but when they signed him. but He was uh, definitely yeah. a good signing by Sandy. So, I mean, uh, Kilomice... Had the Tommy John, and obviously when he came back this year, he wasn't too great. But hopefully, he still has a bright future ahead of him. And you know, every time, every uh, he only threw like maybe ten innings or something like that this year, twelve, whatever it is, over maybe six appearances. You know, not that much, but basically in every appearance, he threw like a curveball once or twice. You're just like, oh, okay, you know, a, a yeah. really mm-hmm. a, a fastball. You're just like, damn, like. You, you could, could see, see it. it. You could see mm-hmm. it. You could see something. You could see why you trade for him and like why he. I think he has a floor of a reliever. Like because you you could just see that he throws pitches and you're like, oh yes, he could be a major league guy. Like he mm-hmm. has major league pitches in his, in him. Yeah. And also, you got to give. I would give him a mulligan for the weird year and the coming yes. off of a really major injury. Like not something you could. Uh... It's not fair to him. It's it's a lot for him. Like that's a yeah, lot. Yeah, exactly. Make your debut coming off Tommy John, and also there's a pandemic. Like, <laughs> <laughs> rub some dirt on it. Come on, get out there, kid. Mm. All right. Um, now to the draft. And in 2018, the Mets had the sixth overall pick, and they selected some dude. And it turned oh, out no. to be, it turned out to be definitely be the right choice. But whatever, <laughs> we'll move on. Oh. Um, <laughs> They selected Edwin Diaz with the first pick, and oh, yeah. it was okay. he was he was ready for the majors right away, but the results were up and down. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'll take that narrative that works. <laughs> Fuck. They didn't no. trade anyone. Um, I don't I don't know what you're talking about. It's actually Robinson Cano just showed they, up one day. Yeah, Rob, <laughs> no, it was I just like it, it was it was Jay Bruce and um who was the other Dunn. Piece? And Justin Dunn for Robinson Cano, and they drafted. Hey, if they had done just that part of the trade, I would have been all for it. (laughs) It is, it is a little sad. Like we've talked all about how they need a center fielder. Jared Kelenic's basically a major league ready, ready, potentially elite center fielder. Yeah, that's uh, 
You no, might not even play center in, in Seattle because they have like three center fielders. They have Kyle yeah, he, Lewis, Julio Rodriguez, and then him. Yeah, he, That's he might, gonna be a fun to outfield. Oh yeah. They're gonna be so fun. Best not to dwell on that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look at the IFAs that they got signed that year instead. Okay. Um, for $2.7 million, they signed Francisco Alvarez, catcher. Um, yes. they signed outfielder Freddy Valdez for 1.4 million. They signed shortstop William Lugo for 475,000. They signed Cuban outfielder Gerson Molina for 175,000. And right-handed pitcher Neraldo Catalina for 150,000. Let's not talk about him. Either. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't expect that. Wow. In five minutes. <laughs> Yeah, it's a roller coaster of emotion. Signed international free agent Wilmer Font. Wait, <laughs> yes. He was major league ready, but, uh, the results Back. were made. <laughs> <laughs> the, the oldest IFA signing in history. He was like 25. Now, I don't even know how old he is, actually. But by that July, Sandy was gone. Who knows exactly you know, when he gave up the reins of control or anything like that, but. Um, glad to hear, glad to hear that, uh, or basically get no news on any cancer from him, which basically, which is good news, so. Yeah, that's true. Back, excellent for him. Yeah. And obviously, if it was still a problem, he wouldn't be right. accepting the job with back right. with the organization, so. For sure. But, yeah, um, those last couple of years, I guess you could sum it up as, you know, right idea, wrong time. I don't know. Uh, to, to me, the biggest, it's just, it's the 2016 miss. That's the biggest problem. It's the, it's the misread of the market in 2016. We also don't talk, we didn't talk about how they didn't retain any money in any of these deals, which yep. absolutely is the Will Pond's fault and absolutely hurts their yep, returns. That's, yep, that's also true. Because the Mets easily could have afforded, because none of these dudes were making crazy money. The Mets could have easily afforded to retain everything, like like just be like as much as we can of re- retain for every single one of these guys, and still be a functioning organization, and probably have gotten a hell of a lot better return. But when you go to a team and be like, "Oh yes, you have to pay the full eight million or whatever it is," they're going to be like, "Well, then I'm giving you Jamie Callahan instead of like <laughs> uh, instead of a better prospect," and that's what happens. They got Callahan. Yeah. <laughs> My cat knocked right. my mic over. If you nice. Alright, um, any last words for the week? You do absolutely not have to Callahand it to them, is no. all I have to say. God no, you damn didn't. it. <laughs> damn it, Rich. I mean, Thomas. You've been spending too much time on Rich's Twitter feed. As soon as you said Callahan, I was like, ooh. Listen, take the shots, because you'd be regretting it if you didn't. Exactly. I'd be so pissed. <laughs> All right. If anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you could send us an email at our email address from complex2queens at gmail.com. You could follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at elvlahos343. And Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at SadMetSeasonSDN. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Rate and review it. And, of course, thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. And until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.